Hey everybody, welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We are stand-up comedians. Stand-up comedians that are currently jobless because of the coronavirus. We're finally going to be the doctors our mothers wanted us to be. Is there anything that we don't know? A lot, actually. We have a lot of questions. Uh, we have a lot of answers. All of them wrong. But we do have access to... Google. And a vet. Oh yeah, my mom's a vet. She knows some stuff. We have to do this So again. every once in a while, we're going to invite her on. No, we don't. We're going to actually use this. <laughs> Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. Hi. I see the little record button and I just go like, ah. <laughs> um, hi. Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. How's lockdown, my love? It's my first day of lockdown, everybody. Um, so far, so sane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much killing it. I, I feel like I've been grounded plan. for a month, but my parents have grounded me before and told me it was only going to be three weeks and it was three months because they're cruel. So it's like, yeah. yeah, I'm grounded for a month, but is it going to be a month? Like, I know they want everyone to be like, I think they want to get numbers down for Christmas so people can spend time with their families because nobody's actually a real, you know, I want to say Scrooge, but then I kept thinking Scrooge McDuck. I've gotten my fiction mixed up. Yeah. Uh, so you Grinch, really think Grinch? that they're taking this seriously so people will go buy gifts and then are allowed to hang out with their families? If in my most cynical uh, explanation of it, yes. Like they want retail stores and the economy to thrive before Christmas because this is really the season for it. And, uh, and yeah. then they're going to throw us back in lockdown after. Are people wearing masks? I had a fan in England that basically said nobody's wearing masks. Well, I don't know what part of England they're in. I mean, people are wearing masks, sure. but not everyone. And it's like prominent enough that I can't get mad about everybody. <laughs> you know, when only yeah. like one or two people, you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Why can't you just be a good person? And then, but like when yeah. it's so many, you're just like, I don't have the energy to get this mad. Forgive me, English fans. But a part of me is like, you guys don't have livers. You might want to take this seriously. <laughs> like, like there's a part of me that's just like, Hey, man. And maybe that's also the other thing is like, they're like, I'm going to die of, you know, cirrhosis. Is that the right word? I kind of understand in general, the unhealthy person being like, I don't even care about myself. <laughs> like, why would I care about others? I guess so. I, I don't think that people think about the fact that- supposed to be funnier than sadder. It's like, hmm. <laughs> Great philosophy. Anyway, I- <laughs> I come from a family of suicide. I feel like these are the jokes I make. <laughs> I have my lockdown list of things to do. I'm sort of excited for the time, again, the free time. And I never really created a new set of comedy while I was in the last lockdown. And I'm like, this yeah. is fun. This is a lockdown. I come up with my new special. And then- That is kind of funny that Edinburgh had like a skip. You know what I mean? They skipped this year. And now people really do, instead of having, you know, they say it's a year, but we all know it's really six, three to six months to create a whole new hour. That like this next Edinburgh better be fucking fantastic, England. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you had more time than usual to like yeah. get it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Just got to adjust because um, the pillow was, it wasn't doing anything. It was falling between the cracks of my chair. And I was like, well, what's the point? I sat on three pillows during my driver's test because I was too short. Uh, fuck yeah. I had a pillow all throughout high school. People made fun of me. This is Most comfortable butt in town. <laughs> I'm going okay, to you got a list. You're you're trying to get you're trying to get excited for this br mandatory break in your life. Exactly. Trying to just keep a positive headspace. I've always been curious about cuz I have a couple of friends that are authors and they would go on these writing retreats where you know like you go into the mountains with no Wi-Fi and you just you write your book. And I've always like, I want to do that, but I would never do that. The same way that somebody goes to a retreat and they just meditate all day. And I'm like, I want to do that. I would never but do that. I would that. never do it. Yeah. I would never do that. I do feel like these lockdowns are like a more depressing baby version because you're still in your home. That's the other challenge is you have all your stuff. And I think if you're in a cabin in the woods, it's like, you know, you have your oatmeal and your computer and that's your life for yeah. two months. So it's not the same. I know that. But there is something that I've been trying to utilize these quarantines in some sense as a writing retreat since I can't see my friends. I mean, the problem is I have internet. That's really the problem. It really has always been the problem. And <laughs> <laughs> like, it's never been a lack of time. Uh, yeah, but I like to pretend that it is. Now that I have the time, I'm going to be the most amazing human. But I'm not. I'm not. Let's, I'm going to be online. Let's check in on that in a month, my love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's check it out. That'd be like such a funny segment. Let's check in on Maria. And then it's just you painting. And I was like, is that on your list? You're like, not at all. It, 
I would love if I was painting. Yeah, and actually it was on my list and I did have a watercolor painting. I posted online like a month or two ago. It's kind of ugly, but I bought watercolors. Like I just think I'm going to like indulge in all these creative impulses and just waste time on the internet like everyone else. We're going to talk about that in this episode. I feel like that was a really good transition. I actually forgot everything we're going to talk about in this episode. I forgot about- <laughs> That would actually be so funny if our inbox is instead of people like sharing with us, they're just like, so where on the list are you, Maria? Just out here as a fan caring about your career. <laughs> like, fuck off. I don't even know yeah, you. I already have everyone. a dad. <laughs> um, uh, before I forget. Mean, tell Maria what to do, Patreon. On, <laughs> like, yeah, t- yeah, yeah. That's a whole tier. Just make <laughs> Maria feel bad about herself. Um, speaking of Patreon, we have one. Um, <laughs> Lovely, Liz. I'm just, just editing these podcasts. Sometimes I'm just like, what? A beautiful transition by Liz Mealy. Like, I just Thank wish I could, I could be in it and also announce it, like, as we're going. Just a little arrow that's like, look at that seamless transition. <laughs> if you don't know, we have bonus episodes. We actually just put out a special bonus episode for the month of November. We did a uh, chat with Badge, which is Adrian Epelucci and Sarah Tolamach is podcast. So that was one of our bonus episodes. But we have bonus episodes every month. We have extended interviews when we have Google guests, stickers, other bonuses. So if you haven't joined our patreon um you can do that as little as three dollars a month subscribe to us on the internet youtube twitter at two non-doctors instagram at two non-drs and please uh rate and review us if you enjoy the podcast leave us a review on itunes and stitcher because it helps us be seen and it helps us just feel good personally i don't i think by the time this comes out i will still have not performed in philly so i'm in philly november 27th to the 29th at the punchline so you should come to that go see liz and philly even if you're not in yeah yeah i I think just drive to philly come see me i had previously announced that i was at top secret on november 25th but uh that's canceled because of lockdown yeah yeah but she will reschedule with new material that she has written during lockdown that's right liz (laughs) (laughs) you're like almost angry you're like (laughs) to promise people fan mail yeah all right so we have uh, some fan mail from Falcon Fight Team. Is it Falcon Fight Team Presents or Falcon Fight Team? Falcon Fight Team Presents, I think it's the whole name, but we could just call him Falcon. Falcon? Falcon? Um, okay. That's so a hard we, word for me. It, Falcon. Me too. Falcon. So, stop, stop, stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry. So we have fan mail from Falcon Fight Team Presents, here by known as Falcon, who says, I used to think that I was angry all the time. My therapist helped me to realize that I was actually living with serious anxiety and I channeled it into anger. A lot of what you guys were describing are things I used to do myself. It legit blew my mind when my doctor explained that I wasn't actually a murder-fueled rage monkey and that most of my responses, especially road rage, are actually just my anxiety finding a way to manifest itself. It's truly helped me to get a grip on my anger knowing that it's just misdirected anxiety makes it way easier for me to take a breath and step back instead of just, for example, jumping out of my car and stoving their windscreen in with a bearded axe. And then there's just, just to, just to let everyone know, there's a, there's a big mouth smiley face. It's like the colon with the D. (laughs) (laughs) You're like getting to know us. Sorry, this is being a dick. I love that. First of all, thanks for, for um, commenting. And I, I don't know, like it's, it's, Interesting. I just had therapy before this and we just talked about how my anxiety is both the reason I get a lot of work done and also how I ruin everything. (laughs) It's interesting. I think I definitely channeled my anxiety through anger and really control. Like for me, everything was about control because if I controlled it, it wouldn't cause me anxiety. It's funny how we kind of joke where you're like, oh, I forgot what we're talking about and I'm not prepared. And I have everything written out. I don't like to go into anything without at least 90% of it prepared because it causes me so much anxiety. So I think a lot of my anger, like Falcon was saying, is things not going the way they're supposed to go. And isn't that what road rage is? Merging can throw me into a rage that makes no sense. My sister has watched me scream, it's a zipper. You go, I go, you go, I go. It's a fucking zipper. I've screamed it's a, it's a zipper. Yes. It's, it, to me, it's like, come on, guys. It's a zipper. It's the funniest thing to scream. It is. And it, you, you look crazy. Half the time we're in traffic, it's because of a merge. It's because it was three lanes that are down to two lanes. And it shouldn't be that complicated, but it is because people are selfish and assholes and idiots. There's rules of the road 
people aren't following them and I have to deal with the consequences of it that just fill my entire body and my <laughs> head is out the window screaming it's a zipper. But I think it's a mixture of using control as a way to kind of mute your anxiety or, or, or tame your anxiety. And then when people disrespect this thing that you planned, this thing or the world has planned, there's rules of the road. It just sets you off. And I've had to really, just really let go. Especially like the subway, like I get subway rage where, you know, somebody's holding the door or like, I remember <sighs> watching a guy, his backpack was just getting smashed in the door and you know, it bounces open. And I'm looking and I'm like, how do you not feel that? So eventually I was like, dude, your backpack. And he had headphones on. And I was like, I will slap those <laughs> out of your fucking ears. Be a, per be a present person in this world. Like, how do you not even think that you might be the person blocking like you don't feel the wind from the doors you can see all the anger that's no happening. i know i mean just coming off of the overground yesterday and somebody they're always on the phone and then they uh were walking in the middle you know like there are sides you walk on the left side or the right side but there are sides just in the middle up the stairs in the middle down the but it's like narrow enough that you can't get it it's just like unless no. you're six years old everybody knows you pick a side even if you picked the wrong side i would be proud of you absolutely Absolutely. I mean, just, there's so many things. Like that was one small example of my yeah, right yeah. underground or overground or in public. Sorry, I'm fighting with my cat. This is the thing. Sorry to derail the conversation, but she just cries at doors. She just cries at doors. She'll look at the bathroom door and she'll be like, why not me? And then you open the bathroom door and she's like, this place sucks. And you're just like, what are we doing here? What are we doing? So I'll, I could open my bedroom door, but she'll walk around and just cry in the living room and in the kitchen. I get that she doesn't love her life. And I apologize. I apologize that I'm not a rich person with a huge house. But I think even if I was a rich person with a huge house, she would just be going from room to room fucking crying. I think we're really starting to show my anger in this. But her um, face is so cute and innocent too while you're just bitching about her. Oh yeah. Well, I'm like, this cunt Aww. doesn't get it. <laughs> and people are like, she's an angel. And I'm like, she is. She's a beautiful angel. It's funny how nicely I talk to her in a mean way where I'm like, I will murder you in, you, in your sleep, but I love you so much. Like, I love you so much. But that is very strange. In my armpit. No, I just, I love that he was basically kind of showing that, that this introspection of anxiety is anger. Just even the awareness, like even my therapist telling me today how much I know my anxiety is the reason I get a lot done and it is both beneficial and toxic to me. And she even said, she was like, why do you think you haven't tried to fix it? And I was like, because it, I get the results I want. And what's crazy, but you stupid bitch, you just bit me. Um... <laughs> The problem is, is it's the opposite effect when dating. And I've known this. I remember saying this to her a year ago. I have never gotten to enjoy the honeymoon phase of any relationship because it causes me the worst level of anxiety that when, you know, things start to get comfortable in a relationship, I feel better, but that's not the fun part. I mean, it's fun and it's nice. And I like the companionship and I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, those parts when I've dated people, but like the funnest part, the thing that they write songs about, they make movies about the fun part I have never enjoyed because I'm so like sick in the head with anxiety about all the issues I have and so she was like so the thing that kind of keeps you going that you know I get all the shit done I'm putting out albums I'm touring the world like she's even told me she's like you'll come off a plane from Australia and you'll be in therapy and I'm thinking why are you here and you're like da -da -da -da, like chatty Kathy I can see so clearly especially after she said it that my anxiety has been so beneficial in this area and so toxic in this other area. And I've just allowed it. Like I've just never fixed it. Yeah. Well, you, you see the benefits, so you'll just deal with the shit. I'm jealous of the benefits. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. But the you, thing is I've, that, yeah, I've seen you get off planes and go straight to comedy shows and I'm just like, you're out of your mind, but you are out of your mind. And, and it's actually not sensitive that I said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I am out of my mind. Should we thank him for writing Oh, it? yeah, we should thank him. <laughs> Thanks, Falcon. We appreciate it. Okay, you want to get into Googles? Yeah. You, you, every face is like, I disappointed you. Okay. I, I have to catch up with you. Yeah, uh, I'm like, ah, da, da. this is also 1 p.m. Like, Everybody knows 1 p.m. Liz is fucking nuts. I know, I'm at, I'm at 6 p.m. and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> and you're just like, Brrr. and I'm like, I think she said, Googles and you're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm just getting there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've had two cups of green tea and I kind of slept. I mean, pasta is the worst. This week we have a Patreon Google and Liz and I are joined by Jacob. 
So I spent some time as an electrochemical scientist working on battery research. Us too. And, right, <laughs> yep. So I'm familiar with like energy trans, like we talk about matter, like things that have mass and take up space, like me after Thanksgiving. But you know, the energy, like the electricity and the magnetism and the light and all that, the energies and stuff that kind of flow through gems, you know, like a quartz clock. So we use crystals in electronics to... Yeah help filter out you know the electricity and so i i like to to study them in the in the ways of their energy that way let me talk about the plant food that i make um because that kind of it kind of <laughs> segues into to plant food <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of well it kind of segues into the salsa i'm listening to two non-doctors and i'm grinding <laughs> gems and i'm collecting all the the dust that comes off the gems and so i combine all the dust into a recipe that i've had tested and approved by the department of agriculture and I use it to make a plant food it's a mineral soil amendment you know it's water and there's oh, okay. dust so you in put there it, you put it in your plants to make them healthy right yep and I actually get a higher yield and better flavor and higher nutrition and better weather resistance brighter colors and so I, I started looking into it and I'm like am I putting uranium on my plants or you know and it turns out that it's a soil like it's minerals there's irons and coppers oh, and I didn't expect it to happen but after after I saw it happen to my garden. She was like, I'm head. a genius. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yeah. Well, it, it was, honestly, it was a blessing because I did this little Kickstarter for a thing that helps people with low de dexterity and folks with one hand open bandages. You know, I didn't get a lot of attention, but everybody who ordered some bandage openers, I was like, I'm gonna cut you a gem, <laughs> a friendship gem. So yeah. anyway, I <laughs> to just kind of add out the story, I, I screwed up the survey and I had to cut everybody two gems. So I cut oh. all these gems, right? And then I dumped all the leftover dust and water on the garden. Well, as a blessing, it turns out the gems I put on the garden weren't dangerous because some gems you don't want to oh, okay. use on your, yeah. So, I mean, out of all the different gems, I mean, there's 22 different gems in the plant food recipe. And so, like I say, it was a blessing. <laughs> I, I like went some kind of like vegetable genocide and you're like, I don't understand what happened. <laughs> yeah. What did I, oh no, I'm losing my arms here. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I started looking into it and that's how I, you know, reverse engineered the plant food and the plant food is what kind of takes me to my Google, I guess. Yeah, okay. yeah. On perfect segue, Jacob. Yeah, we don't have to do fun. anything. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody with a headset was going to really carry us today. I felt that. That was in my dream. <laughs> so I grow a garden with all these like, you know, tomatoes and garlic and stuff like that. And I feed the gemstone plant food to the salsa plants. And then I make some salsa with it. And like, this is uh, just an example. So you guys know. This is like show and tell. I love this so much. I put raspberries Raspberry in salsa. it. Raspberry salsa. Yum. To, it's not really raspberry flavored it's just in place of the sugar i make the salsa with the vegetables grown from the gem powder now my google what is my google is salsa healthy oh Isn't yeah it? it should be i sent the salsa to a bunch of people great people on youtube they said it tastes good and maybe they're just looking out for my feelings but you know they said they want to buy more and so i'm <laughs> you know i don't really sell it it's just friendship salsa <laughs> and so i'm like wait a minute it, if i'm saying it's supposed to make your stuff more healthy but they're saying it's good well it can't be both or can it something's yeah. gotta be up here yeah, uh -huh. yeah yeah also i'm noticing yeah. a real lack of friendship stuff uh over here yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't oh, have gems we don't everybody have friendship has friend salsa. yeah yeah the hell's going just on a podcast to you this is ridiculous <laughs> okay salsa is yeah. it healthy salsa is it person? thank you yes it has vitamin c in it but it's not as healthy if it's been cooked is salsa cooked or is it raw well it can be both you can roast it but i mean yeah. well generally when you think of like Pico de gallo or something. It's usually raw. If we slam them both against the wall, pico de gallo is a fresh, crunchy salad, and salsa is tomato soup. Okay. But pico is a type of salsa. There is yours more pico de, de gallo, or is yours more tomato soup? It's cooked. So okay. I mean, but it's there's big chunks, which makes yeah. it pico y. That sounds I mean, that great. Sounds healthy. I th I think as far as sauces go, it's probably healthier than most sauces. Yeah, and you don't, you don't have like preservatives and you don't have um, sugar. So you don't have like corn yeah. syrup and you don't even have regular sugar. You have the sweetness from the fruit. I mean, it sounds like one of the healthier. I mean, we don't know shit, but <laughs> we can endorse your product. <laughs> um, um, this was awesome, Jacob. Well, um, I, I appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. We learned a lot. Yeah, I you educated us. And I want some salsa now. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Have a great day and thanks right. for thanks for supporting us.
Bye. Bye. Okay. Um, my Google is what are the benefits of cold showers? Okay. My roommate has been doing the Wim Hof method. I should have done more. If you bite me one more time. Ah! She really bit me. <laughs> Sorry. That is the worst she's bit me in years. No. <laughs> Sorry. There's like indents. I don't even know if you can see that. There's like full indents in my I don't know hand. why you don't just euthanize her. I, I love her so much. She's like, she's licking her paw like I did something to her. Fucking. <laughs> she's so she's I'm like, dirty oh. after that, bitch. Yeah, she was like, oh, I probably got rabies. She's so angry. It's <laughs> back. Okay, so uh, what are the benefits of cold showers? My roommate has been doing cold showers for, I think, over a year now, and sometimes ice baths. First of all, it's so funny when we go out, like, we'll go out to get, like, groceries or go to the bodega to pick something up, and I... It's not even that cold. It's like 60 degrees. I look like I'm going into the tundra and he looks like he's going to the beach. Like he's wearing like sleeveless shirt and shorts and I'm wearing like sweatpants and two coats and my beanie. Like I just look crazy when we hang out because he doesn't feel cold as much or it doesn't bother him. But I've always known there's like benefit. It's like super beneficial for your skin. And it's really like, it's almost like a cup of coffee and like there's all these kind of benefits to it and i tried it twice and by tried it twice you're supposed to ease yourself into it so like let's say you take a 15 minute shower the last two minutes are supposed to be cold or you would do the first two minutes are cold and the rest of it's warm or whatever and i did that twice and i was like i could do this and then it was just one day that i didn't do it and i was like i guess we're done doing that <laughs> but this guy wim hof kind of has done all the research you can go to the, his website and kind of find out more but i'll give you the basic of it but he's the one that kind of just discovered how it healing it is to your body and to your mind and and skin so basically when you take cold showers you avoid dr drying out your skin your hair kind of retains this it's elasticity so it doesn't like not as much kind of falls out you avoid destroying the thin layer of sebum sebum s-e-b-u-m sebum that protects your skin um it can make your skin more resilient to the cold hence my roommate being able to go out you know in the fall wearing like nothing and then cold water is supposed to improve your circulation reduce stress levels uh helps with weight loss higher level of alertness more robust robust immune system and increased willpower i know that shit's true with pretty much doing anything that's hard i mean i think you can get some of those benefits from working out or doing anything where you have to keep doing the same thing over and over again that's uncomfortable but it's so funny to think you just have to stand under cold water for five minutes and i was like no i'll just run a marathon was it chris that's been doing it yeah the reason i guessed him was because he seems to go to the extremes with like stuff he tries health-wise yes like all meat diets and all yeah. cold showers and ice baths and, and whatever but um maybe that's it what difference has he noticed and how does he know it's the showers because he's also gone off it before so i think like so his skin is definitely improved and because he he's some of the reasons he's done strict diets is because he would like have like rashes or like just issues with his skin so i know his skin is improved he went off coffee like he was definitely having like four or five cups a day and he went completely off coffee we also talk about like our emotional res res resilience in the sense that like certain things that might trigger us or upset us it doesn't as much for him so i think there's something like there's got to be some kind of meditative response as well as a body response this is probably the longest you know i've lived with him stop we're fighting i've lived with him for probably 11 years now and this is probably the longest he's actually kept with something as well so i think that even says the benefits he's had for it so i've known he's done this for a while but i find it really funny that weirdly because i do think we're going into quarantine ourselves again um or at least some kind of muted version of what our life has been that i'm like this is my quarantine list is trying to do this even if it's just for one minute every shower i'm not even showering every day so we're talking about like twice a week we're talking about two minutes of my life and i'm like doing so much research to be like you got this liz <laughs> i did the blast of cold at the end of a shower for a while because you feel of the, like it helped? the hair thing okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I think my hair was uh, nicer, but then my hair's nice right now. I didn't do the blast of cold. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? Why well, um, torture myself if I'm going to look beautiful regardless? Right. I didn't necessarily feel more energetic. It just, you know, you get out and you're like, did that? <laughs> you know? But like, yeah. I can't even remember why I started doing it. I think my partner at the time was reading a lot of Tim Ferriss. I slowly turn the, the hot water off because I don't just jump right in. I just like get used to it. Now it's warm. Now it's cooler. Now it's cold. And you're like, <laughs> okay. I also just think showers 
are just lovely and like everything about it is comforting and to have and life isn't comforting so to take this moment to yourself you know there's no cell phone there's you know what i mean like showering is one of the few times that i have no other distractions at all and i feel like it's just like a warm hug that's what i was gonna say when you're reading off the list of benefits it was like well if somebody wrote a list of benefits for hot showers yeah it might fuck up your skin and hair a bit but like just the the feeling of like it's so soothing or something calm yeah yeah it just feels like a warm hug and then to take a cold shower before after or the whole thing to be cold it's just a smack in the face of absolutely live your life don't fucking try to just disappear into goodness it feels like biting a rock in the middle of a piece of cake like Mm -hmm. ah fucking hell like it just feels so right. mean and knowing you you're still eating the cake you're just oh yeah i'll just be more careful <laughs> but i like my teeth are shattered around it and i'm like we can make the best of this <laughs> i can't even promise you and uh our fans that i'm gonna even do it but i i did the research to think about if i might do it okay cool well yeah. you know over the next month when i'm writing you can be taking cold showers and just see where we're at yeah what's your google my google is can bug bites turn into psoriasis Okay. Because I got a mosquito bite on my ankle like in July. And then I realized the other day I was still itching it. And I was like, hang on. So the original Google was, um, I don't think I actually read into it at all, but was like, how long do mosquito bites last? But I was like, there's no way it's still a mosquito bite. And then I remembered um, the first time I realized I had psoriasis. And I have this weird type of psoriasis. It's a gatuti, gatati psoriasis or something. It's like small circular little like bug bite looking things. And I thought you had bed bugs when I first noticed I had psoriasis because I was staying with you. I think it was a bug bite, not a bed bug. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But that turned into psoriasis and it absolutely can. So like any kind of skin lesions can end up turning into psoriasis and it's called the Kobner phenomenon. It's uh, when a skin disorder such as psoriasis occurs at the site of an injury on the skin. They say why it does that? Well, like... I'm, I'm getting into it. 25% oh, of people okay. with psoriasis may experience Kobner phenomenon. Doctors aren't Sure, exactly why the Kobner phenomenon happens. I don't know. Uh, no. Just deal with it. Sounds like a you problem, right? Really. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, Looks to be you. <laughs> various factors play a role, including the immune system, vascular system, skin, neural system, and hormones. Some possible triggers include contact with allergens or irritants, cuts or scrapes, uh, insect bites, burns, other trauma to the skin. The inflammatory response to the injury may trigger a reaction. So like, because psoriasis is an autoimmune disease. So it's just your body overcompensating to fix something. It's just doing it too much. And then your skin becomes inflamed with it. So I think that like my body may may be trying to heal the bug bite, then overdid it. too enthusiastic. Yeah. It's like, come on, everybody, we're going to fix this and we're going to stay forever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so that, so I I just think I have a spot of psoriasis on my ankle. That's so annoying. That like, it's like frustrating where you're just like, cool, now I have to be scared of bugs because I might. It is annoying, but I mean, it's, you know, I can live with it. It's fine. But yeah, um, but I also, because I've always known with my eczema, if I itch it too much, it like almost makes it worse and it starts to spread. And you're like, cool, then don't make it itchy. Like, like there's just a part <laughs> of me that's just like, okay, so you do something. <laughs> yeah, you're just like a little bit like, I mean, that could be a Google, like, what's the point of making these things itchy? Is it to create awareness? Because it's all it's doing is just making me more like not present. And then I'm just doing this without thinking. That's where my eczema is, by the way. And then they tell you that by itching it, it could spread. And you're just like, don't make it feel better if I itch it. And then tell, and then tell me that I'm making it I just, everything sucks. I know, I know, I know. Um, by the way, if you hear random fireworks, it's Guy Fox night. And um, what's Guy Fox night? Here in the UK, they celebrate the burning of a man who tried to overthrow Parliament or tried oh, to like yes. kill the king. Yeah, and so they burned him. Him and some other people, but just it's just him who gets his own holiday. Which it's a weird thing. He's the villain in this story, but they've named the night after him. It's just very not American. Because America's holidays are like, we've overcome adversity and we're amazing. And or like Martin Luther King Day, for example, right? He was yeah. a guy who inspired a lot of people and, and led a civil rights movement. And we are celebrating his life and his accomplishments. And then, and here they celebrate the villains. I mean, they're not celebrating the villains. They're celebrating the murder of the villains, which is so British. It's really dark. Yeah. They're just like, they're just like, Hey, what are you doing for that murder holiday? I don't know. I was thinking about going out to eat. What do you want to eat for this murder holiday? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be some Brits who correct me about something or other, but that's the basic gist that I've gotten 
in the four years that I've lived here. I feel like I've been in London during this time. I feel like I've now, now that you explained it, I feel like I've heard of it. So is it just fireworks? Like it's like their 4th of July? I think there's supposed to be a bonfire somewhere, I guess. Okay. I don't know. But yeah, mostly people just celebrate with fireworks, but I don't think it's as big as the 4th of July. Like, Do they have like July. sales, like mattress sales? Fox? I haven't what seen any called? commercials like that. <laughs> Just people yeah. just find fireworks here. <laughs> I don't know That's so funny that I'm just like, hey, if it's not a Abraham Lincoln's birthday uh, mattress sale, is it really a holiday? Yeah. <laughs> All right, UK, you're funky. <laughs> um, I like it. Let's get personal. Okay. Are you religious or spiritual? I'm spiritual, if anything. Okay. Like, Did you grow up religious? I grew up religious. So we grew up Coptic Christian. Somewhere around 17, I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> is that like a church thing? Like, did you go to church? Yeah, I went to church every week. And it really, like, I felt like it was more of a community. You know, it was more of a big extended family gathering every week with God. It was nice. It was nice to have that community. It was nice to be with other people. It's an, like... We've talked about the importance of community before. And I think when you move countries and you're Egyptian. Especially if that's the reason you left, there was like persecution of the Coptic Christians, right? Yes. But also, I mean, just the opportunities are better in America. Yeah. So the weird, huh? Oh. I was going to say, I have a weird Egyptian question. Okay. So most of the Italians that move to America are Southern Italians. That's why you have, like, they all kind of look, they're short. You know, they all look like Danny DeVito. I always say, like, everybody I'm related to looks like Danny DeVito. So you're going to have more, like, Naples, Sicily. I guess we're very mafia. I don't know. I'm generalizing. But most of the Italians in America are from a certain part of Italy. Would you say that most of the Egyptians in America are Coptic Christians? and Or is that, like, a Not at all. too much of a um, jump? Because no. your friends that I'm friends with, Reef and Paul, are both Coptic Christian. But you know them through me. I know, but they you knew them through New York. So it's not like it was Ohio. Yeah, but I met them through Mina, who is Coptic Egyptian. Okay, okay. <laughs> Big community, you know. Yeah, but I know. These are assumptions that I made just, uh, I said something in an email to them yesterday about like, I was like, I'm not even religious and I'm praying. And he said, he said something and he goes, sorry, that's Coptic Christian. Reef will sing the song to you when we have our meeting. And I was like, <laughs> songs. I was like, I was like, Maria's never said anything about songs. Because um, I don't, I mean, I barely know anything about my own religion, but it's just like, just through a little bit that I know about you. And then because I've been working with Reef and Paul, I was just like, oh, everybody's Coptic Christian. But you me? know, because of me. And I know. Through you. <laughs> that line you know, is these one are, person. These are valid points that I met all these people through you. I'm just like, I just love there Egyptians. There are plenty of Egyptians who aren't Coptic. I know, but I was just wondering if those, if, it, you know, a certain type of person or a certain type of group was ostracized. And that's why, the same way that it's the Southern Italians that are not here. In any, not in any mass uh, okay. way where, where it would be like a mass exodus outside of Egypt. Not like that. No. Okay. I was just checking. I just think that religion isn't fair. I just remember being a child being like, my mom being like, well, Jesus died for your sins. And I was like, I never asked him to, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Why did he check with Why me? Why is this first? on me? <laughs> I would have been like, no, thank you. That's like a huge commitment in friendship I'm not ready for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guilt shit did not work on me. I was like, I never, I never fucking asked him to do that. <laughs> it's a little excessive and it feels like he's not a good listener. <laughs> put my boundaries down right here <laughs> so yeah so somewhere but I was always sort of like Moot called it brown people magic like I still feel like I have some sort of connection with the spiritual realm you know like I still believe yeah. in a higher power I guess but not necessarily yeah. God I don't know if I feel like anybody's watching over us as much as I feel like what we do and how we think and feel might be reflected back to us or like I'm re-listening to the power now like we talked about on that episode yeah and I believe in a lot of that you know he says yeah. that when you're in pain like if you have hidden underlying anger you'll find yourself in confrontations with other people who have the same and that's spiritual like that's not something that's proven yeah. in science I had a very different upbringing so like both my parents were Catholic grew up Catholic I think my dad went to Catholic school I don't know if my mom went to Catholic school now that I think about it but my dad was like 12 years Catholic school my mom pretty Catholic but like they came out different like my dad came out and he just continued to be Catholic my dad wanted to be a pastor I think that's the thing? My dad wanted to be something. Um, I truly don't know much about religion, but he wanted to be something, and, but he ended up becoming a vet. And then my mom, I think like she did it, but like she was like, I did it and I'm done. To me, it was like a class my mom took. And to my dad, it was like who, what made him who he is. The story I was told was that, you know, my parents were both in vet school. They had two kids. They already said that was like career death sentence, not even just for my mom, just for themselves. Like 
they both were in vet school, which is like, they basically tell you when you go to vet school or, or to become a doctor that like, just plan on being a divorcee for four years because, you know, they're going to be so stressed out with learning knowledge and whatnot. But my mom had two young kids, was in vet school. My dad's in vet school. They're like working a bunch of jobs to stay afloat. They didn't really have any family. And my dad would go off to church and my mom would be pissed. My mom would be like, you're fucking at church. I'm watching these children. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like she made it sound like he was at the bar drinking. You're out there playing with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think my mom basically was saying like, we don't have time for this. Like, I don't want to go or we don't have time for this or this is too stressful. So my dad kind of took a break and then fast forward, you know, they had five kids and they had businesses and he never went back. And I remember so many times in my life, my dad being like, I want to go back to church. And I'm like, go back to church. Nobody's stopping you. Like fucking go. But I think he feels so much guilt for not have gone for at this point over 30 years. And I could tell that it was important to him that I was just like, well, go with, you know, Uncle Fred and Aunt Donna, go with Aunt Claire. Like there's so many people you could go with and restart that community and get back in touch with that. And I would never discourage clearly my father or anybody from that relationship. But I think he really regrets not raising us Catholic. We fucking make fun of religion excessively to the point where I've even had to, because my brother takes in a lot of like Family Guy and Simpsons and South Park and these things where they just kind of, bah, like they just kind of throw it out the door. And I, I sometimes I have to be like, Sam, yes, it's funny. And yes, you're allowed to make those jokes, but maybe take it down a notch in front of dad. Like he does care about those things. And he, he kind of just takes it a little too far, which is so funny because I'm drinking out of this mug that I made Chris. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive, please give me the strength to deal with these flaky bitches. <laughs> it's something, Chris walked into my room when, stop. He walked, in, he walked into my room, this is like eight years ago, about some girl that he was talking to. And it was, and he said that to me and I laughed so hard I made it into a mug. But I just find it so funny. I was like, oh, talking about religion and I have my Jesus mug. It's so funny because I have different friends that of different faiths as well as different strengths of religion. I don't even know how that works. Like super Christians and, you know, kind of Jews, like all over the place. <laughs> and I would never, please, please stop being yourself. I would never discourage anybody, but I just feel nothing towards it to the point where I do have to watch the jokes I make because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and be dismissive of something that is clearly so important to people's everyday lives. And then I really think I spent most of my life being probably pretty atheist, like the Debbie Downer of religion, religious people being like, nothing's there and you're morons. Like, I think I went through- Oh, like, I a hate talking game. to atheists. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think like, I went through a pretty hard phase of that. I was also really sad. So you're spiritual now? I would say because of The Power of Now, which I'm also rereading. Talk about us both doing <gasps> our homework. Yeah, I'm about halfway through. I listen. I still haven't meditated, but I listen. So I think because of The Power of Now, because of some spiritual stuff, because of weirdly therapy, my therapist, she clearly has a little bit of a spiritual sense to her. I don't think I believe in a bigger thing, but I think that kind of higher power or that things aren't just random chaos. It feels like it's random chaos, especially with the world. You know how people are like, I'm sending you good vibes. I'm at like the good vibes level of spirituality where I'm just like, you put out good vibes, you get good vibes back. Like, yeah. you know, like I think I'm, I'm morphing and I'm changing a little bit. I'm at 10% spirituality. Like I said, I would never discourage anybody and I'm 100% on it. And I kind of like, I took a religious class in college and I like reading about it. Half my friends grew up hin with Hinduism and I find that really fascinating. And I have, oh fuck, I forget his name. The little elephant god. Um, the little elephant god. I love him so much. I know, that's probably <laughs> so dismissive. Um, Ganesh, that's his name, Ganesh. I bought this for myself probably 10 years ago. And like his little trunk is all like kind of shiny because I used to use, like when I had, I would keep it in my pocket and I would rub his nose because he's like, I think he's like the God of obstacles. Cause mm -hmm. my mom kept, so my mom had crap. I forget the saint. It was the saint of lost causes. Somebody can probably tell us, but she had the saint of lost causes as a necklace. Is that why none of you have jobs now? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, she made a bunch of kids with no jobs, but like there's something about Ganesh, like learning about him. And I love elephants. I know this is like such a white lady response. I don't know. And what's funny about it is I remember showing Burkash that I got this and he was like so excited. Like he was like, good. For, and he's not a religious person at all. He's like, good for you. He's like, that's, that's the good one. I also like this idea of picking and choosing from different religions in the sense that like do what you got to do to get by. But yeah. I know it's a very, almost like a non-answer. It's a good answer. It's fine. You know, you, you didn't, you're not fully committed to anything, but what makes sense to you, you take on board and what doesn't you don't. Yeah, it still feels very white lady. <laughs> well, you are a white lady.
Don't deny that. We haven't been great for a long time and people are talking about it and they have every right to, (laughs) you know, Karen, you're such a Karen. You're such a Karen. Um, I would like to, I would like to think that I'm trying to help other white ladies be less white ladies. Um, (laughs) Okay. We should get into our topic. I feel like this is our jam. Our topic this week is creativity and like inspiration, especially you going into quarantine where you're going to be at like max level of creativity. You're going to be like, like, (laughs) yep. You're yeah. super, tra- and you're like, Ugh, too much pressure. <laughs> Would you say that you've always been a creative person? Like, that's just a part of you? I think so. I think, like, yeah, just as a kid, I remember drawing and coloring. I mean, what fucking kid doesn't? But, you know, writing. Yeah. I wrote a lot as a teenager. I wrote a lot in my 20s, and then the internet happened, and I stopped writing. But, but yeah. <laughs> That is such a perfect, like, how we got all these amazing novels and now we just have memes. Like, yeah. like you just did, like, a full spectrum of, like, literature greats, incredible movies. Now No it's one's a got meme. time to write them and no one's got time to read them. So, yeah. If you can't say memes. what you want to say in a tweet, is it really smart? Is Seriously. it valuable? Brevity is the soul of wit. Just tweet it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a meme, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, um, yeah, I've always been sort of a, a writer. I used to write poetry and just subject my friends to it. Just like, the grass is green and your heart is black. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely went through a poetry phase. I think you just get to a point where you're just like, I don't know, I got to express myself and this feels like the easiest one. And then you're like, no, this is like the meanest one to write if you're not good at it. I think I was okay at it by the time I got into my 20s. I remember my friend reading it and she was like a journalism major and she, she was like, I wouldn't touch poetry with a 10-foot pole but this yeah. is actually pretty good and I got it published oh that's nice yeah who knows what fucking I mean, website it was but <laughs> I don't want to brag I had a poem in the fourth grade called oh invention oh invention oh. and it got written it got written on the big board like this big almost like a big sticky note and it was like on the blackboard for like I think months I mean, my mom still goes, my mom still will quote it. She'll be like, oh, invention, oh, invention. How do you work? And I don't know the rest of it. Oh, that's so cute. So I peaked in the fourth grade. I've always felt like I peaked in the fourth grade. Like I was like, oh my God, my poems on the blackboard. I'm pretty much famous. (laughs) (laughs) I went viral before viral was a thing. I mean, we shared that classroom with like two other classes. So yeah. So everybody's like, who's this? I'm inspired. What is this Liz M and these great invention poetries that she's doing. I remember watching this TED talk with Sir Ken Robinson about how toxic school is. And basically one of the quotes that you pull, you, you can pull from it is we don't grow into create creativity. We grow out of it. And his whole talk is about how school kind of kills creativity and that we as adult creatives are people that survive. We're survivors, as opposed to this idea that certain people are more creative than others. It's more like, what do you do to hold on to this thing that is extremely innate to children? That's funny, because I feel like we survived the education, but I didn't survive the internet. (laughs) That is quotable. That is pretty (laughs) genius. I think we are going through another mass creativity genocide in a lot of ways where it is so much harder to hear your own thoughts and to get work done and to be creatively present in this environment that before it was schoolwork and rules and staying in line and now it's this weird chaos free-for-all of information and toxicity that is they're coming from opposite sides one's all about rules and the other one's all about time suckage and chaos but they're both squashing creativity what do we do Liz? <laughs> um, I mean, I've started to have really strict rules, almost like a parent. And we've talked about this with our addiction to the internet, like a parent trying to get off my phone after 10, having distinct times that I write. And then so like, here's a good thing with creativity. Like I get a lot of young comics that are asking, how do you get started? What are you supposed to do? Besides the like, go watch comedy and blah, blah, blah. But like specifically on the creative sense, just having a watchful eye on your brain and writing it down. A normal person has a thought and then it goes away. Maybe they might tell a friend about it later but it's thought idea gone but what we do is it's thought and whether we know what to do with it or not we write it down yeah and then we might flush it out in the moment but more likely I put it I put it over here in my phone in a little notebook and then I have a designated time where I flush it out and then we of course have a designated time where we go try it out and then we start editing it and really pushing that idea to the next level what school kind of makes you do is you have very regulated ideas and then you're only allowed to talk about certain ideas they're only allowed to be processed in this way and you get graded on this very narrow way of processing them and what art class any kind of music class anything that has to do with creativity goes 
hey, I'm going to give you a prompt. I'm going to give you a thing that you should write about. Go nuts. And then you'll be graded on how crafty it is, whether your project is supposed to, you're supposed to paint this thing, or you're supposed to write about this thing, or do an interpretive dance of this thing. They tell you that school is made to make you a worker bee. That's really what school is. Whether you become a doctor or you become a factory worker, it's all set up for you to be a worker bee. And create the creative mind goes, it's going to be a free-for-all. I'm going to create these things. And we have a little bit of structure because we have to tell jokes and it's in this way and what Wait, have you. I need to stop you for a second because I, I think we've gone so far past this, the way you started saying, and I, I wanted to add to it. I was going to wait until you're done. And I was like, but she's, no, she's no, gone. Yeah, <laughs> the catching of ideas. It's funny because it's the same with anything creative, not just writing and stand-up comedy, but like photography, for instance. If you start looking for things to photograph, more comes out to you. It's just the searching for it. You, you start becoming aware of it. And, and obviously having your camera on you is also important, but that's what's sort of like having a notebook is. Once you start catching like, oh, that's actually, that's a really interesting premise or that's a, that would be a good joke. Like if you're not editing yourself at that stage and you're just going, that's a thought that I could probably do something with. And this I'm particularly bad at. You write it down and then your brain just gets into that mindset. So you start looking for things. Like when I was little, this is the first example that comes to mind, but when I was little, we wanted a certain type of car. I can't remember what car it was, but then you start seeing it everywhere. Yes, you know? absolutely. Or if you're playing a game where you have to be looking for a specific thing, or, or even if you play, play Tetris for a long time and then you just live your life every day and then everything looks like a Tetris piece. That's yeah, just yeah. sort of the same mindset that like you have to get into with the creativity like it's just you start looking and it's a muscle of, yeah and then it's they just absolute, start appearing yeah, i agree i believe now that we probably both diagnosed each other as adhd which i fully think i now have but like <laughs> i feel like in some ways i had an advantage as somebody that was dyslexic and their mind just kind of worked differently school was always hard so it's not even that i didn't want to be in this box because i wanted to do well i was rewarded at home for doing well i just never did well so it was kind of like well i'm never going to do well in this way i'm going to go over here and just daydream. I, sometimes I didn't even know what people were doing. People were having individual reading and I was like, I guess they're fucking looking at pictures. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like I would start counting numbers because I didn't know what people were doing. So in some ways, because I was left behind in the educational system, but also because I was always kind of in my own world. We kind of really learned that all good ideas come from this space. Power of Now talks about it. Every creativity book talks about it. I've even learned that creativity, which is really just kind of problem solving. Your problem can be anything from something logistical, which is I need to put up this shelf and I only have two nails. How do I go about it with you know the two nails and maybe some string that I have? Or it could be like, I have this idea for a joke. How do I put it together and make it funny? Whatever it is, creativity is just you no longer have the same stipulations that other people have and how do you let your mind wander for me basically trusting in this abyss where most ideas come from so like I've even learned okay maybe I have a, a life problem or a creative problem like stand up I'll think about it and then I'll just go for a run or I'll kind of say that hey I have this issue or I have this thing that I'm working on and then I'll go take a shower I'll go do something that gets me out of my head or doesn't distract me because so many ideas come from that gap of thinking that gap of of having a path yeah um oh shit what was i gonna say oh fuck uh you were saying that you have a problem and then you let your mind relax and then it comes to you right yeah so the same idea like like a very simple example is you'd be like who's that guy in that movie he's um i don't know he has a boston accent and then he gets in a fight with a guy and then the apples and you're like, are you talking about like Goodwill Hunting? I'm like, yeah. And you're like the guy. And you're like, I don't know. And then we both, yeah, we could Google it. Or two days from now, I'd be like, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, yeah. Matt Damon. But like the, even that is your mind kind of like fucking did it. Did I remember did what it. I was going to say, which is hilarious because we were just talking about how you can't remember, like you have to let your mind relax. And mm -hmm. as soon as you started talking, I was like, that's it. Big, I think it's <laughs> uh, <laughs> big magic. Elizabeth. Gilbert. She wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah. It's a book about creativity. And her theory is that these ideas are in the air and then you're receptive to it. But if an idea comes to you, you have to act on it because yeah. it can go and someone else might catch it and they'll do it. And I, I, like just, that. I thought that was That's really interesting. Cute. Yeah. It's a really good book about creativity too. If, if you're having issues with being productive or 
nurturing your creative side, the artist way and shit like that. I but think you- I want to ask this before okay. you say anything else. I tend to wait for inspiration to strike. I tend to be going along about my life and then be like, and usually you have to be the one to be like, that's really funny. You need to write that down. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and that's bad. I was watching a masterclass with Shonda Rhimes and she said that she got to the point her analogy didn't make like it made sense to me but i don't know if i can repeat it like if you want to get to the end of the hallway and open the door when you first start out it takes you so long to get to that door but the more you sit down and do it like in practice like the faster you get to the door which like trying to regurgitate that like doesn't make any sense but what she's saying is as soon as she puts her earbuds in she's in the zone because she's trained herself to like wherever she is almost like pap yeah yeah pavlov's dog where at first it was like, I put in my headphones, I get my cup of coffee, I sit down, I only get 10 minutes of work done. And then you do it again. I put in my headphones, I get my cup of coffee, I get 20 minutes. And then eventually all you have to do is, like she said, put in your headphones and you're in. Yeah. It's a way of just kind of training yourself. And that's why they often say certain rooms should have certain purposes so that you go into your, you know, we don't have that luxury. Yeah, but she was, she was arguing against that. Like she doesn't need to have a specific room because of the headphones or whatever, but, but like some people think they have to be in a certain, it has to be a certain time of day and they have to have their whiskey and they have to be in this room. But she was like, she triggers herself into action just by putting headphones in. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I think it was him, like said that, you know, when the d- director yells action and then that, that, what is clap. that noise? The clap. He's like, something happens when I hear that clap and I just switch back. My brain just switches into to performance mode and I'm just right back into the character. And I always thought that was really interesting about creativity is that you can just kind of flip a switch and just be where you need to be with enough practice. Which is interesting because I've literally had my heart broken and then done one of the most important auditions I've needed to do doing stand up. Or you know what I mean? Like I've had some of the worst things happen to me and then gone and did an hour set. And I think some people look at you like, oh my God, how do you do that? And you go, oh, you just, you just turn it on. Oh yeah. Don't get me wrong. I cried immensely before and after. I mean like my blotchy and I'm just like, ah, you know, but that the same way that you hit the record button and I'm like, ta-da. Like in March when you were here and I was opening for you and I was like practically asleep on that sofa thing downstairs (laughs) and you were like, don't. And I was like, I'll be fine. (laughs) And then I got on stage and it was just, I was on, but. I've always believed creativity is a muscle and that everybody has it. No, don't get me wrong. There's some people that just have the body that if they work hard, they'll become a bodybuilder or, you know, have an exceptional amount of strength. And some of it is genetic and some of it is skill and some of it is practice and diet, what have you. And I think you can say the same thing for creativity. I think we all have it inside of us and some of us have genetic advantages and what have, I do think my dyslexia is a creative advantage. My brain literally works differently than other people's brains. And if the whole point is to show the world in a different way as a comedian, I'm already a step ahead of most people. But it's about tapping into it because there's tons of dyslexic people that don't have that ability. So why is it that I have it and they don't? So I think it's where what your goals are with your creativity and then how much effort you put into it. You know, I wrote my book this year and it was really hard. I don't really sit down and write more than 10 minutes, 20 minutes, even performing if I perform an hour, that was written in little chunks of time and I just smashed them all together. And so here I am writing 40,000 words and it was like, I had to set a timer. I set a timer for every 10 minutes to give myself a break. And then, you know, sometimes I would sit and I would write 2,000 words and sometimes I would sit and I would write 200 words. And I was like, this is... But now going through that, I, th- I learned a lot about what it takes and, and enough about this other side of creativity that I think I could do a better job going forward. I could do a faster job going forward. And I understand that even long form writing has its own muscle that I haven't developed, even though I've been writing for yeah. almost 20 it's years. It's like when you came to LA and you know, you'd ran plenty of marathons by then, but I took you hiking and you were, you know, you were sort of out of mess. shape for, yeah, yeah. it's because it was totally different muscles and it's too many trees, really. I was yeah. like, these trees are giving too much oxygen and I can't handle it. I know that's science. Yeah, it's funny. It's like when I coach people for comedy, they'll tell me the problem they're having with a joke. And I was just like, I'll be like, oh, it's this. And they're like, do you know what it would have taken me like three years to figure that out? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. But like, yeah, I, I can't write long form. I can't write novels. I can't, I can, I can write the fuck out of your joke. <laughs> I just, yeah. you know, there's other things I can't do. But that's the muscle we created. And almost to your point before where you say that you don't always spot your creativity, 
it's so much easier to spot it in other people, just the same yeah. way that you can spot problems in other people. So you're mm. constantly being like, write that down. And I'm like, oh, it's an idea. So like, I have a pretty good watchful eye on, on my brain, but I still need help with it. I still, especially because sometimes I'm just like crying, shouting, and you're like, I know you're sad, but you should write down what you said because it was super funny. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you so much. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> I'm like, it. <laughs> I'm going to thank you when I don't feel sad. Um, <laughs> But so I think also too, we will always go back to community. That's the point of having a solid community. You know, I don't want to lose that thought, even though I'm not consciously thinking about it because I'm just talking to you as a friend. So I love art. Like I truly love street art and people that do paintings and, and drawings and stuff like that. It's like my favorite thing. I love looking at it. I love buying it. My whole room is filled with like weird art that I found on the streets while I was touring. But my brain just doesn't work that way. It could. I think if I had tried or even started trying now, I could get to a place of some semblance. But, but that's not that's how I pro train. Problematic thinking is like your brain doesn't work that way, but you haven't tried is the thing. It's no, like no, that's, but that's exactly what I'm saying though, oh. is that my brain doesn't work that way because I decided I don't like, because when I was younger, I thought it was innate. So I discovered art when I was like seven and then I was like, okay, I know I want to make a dinosaur. And then I went to go draw a di dinosaur and I was like, it doesn't look anything like a dinosaur. And I just was like, oh, I just don't I have draw. the ability to draw. Yeah. yeah. But then when I discovered stand up at 13, I was old enough and understood enough that it takes a while. Like every book I read said it takes a while. I just being a person that knew that skills took a while. So I went into stand up knowing that I didn't have to innately be good at it. So now as an adult, if I wanted to, which I just don't think I want to, I know that that while I might not be as good as my friend Ignacio, who did the Bill Murray painting behind me, I know I could get to some semblance of painter's cre creativity if I put in the same effort I did with stand-up. Yeah, I learned that like uh, taking singing lessons. I took a cup one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But she was like, no, you every you can sing. You just have to, not me specifically, one can sing. You just have to, it's, it's just like anything else. You have to practice and get better. And I was yeah. like, Oh, like I definitely thought singing was just talent. Just like you either could or you couldn't. There's a great uh, book. Have you, did you ever read The Talent Code? No. I read it like 10 years ago when I was still trying to like, you know, I was feeling good about what I was doing, but I still needed a little bit of like, this shit takes work. But it was such an important book to me because it basically said what we're, we're saying right now, which is, yes, there's some people that innately are just naturally good at stuff that, you know, savant pianists that can just fucking barely knows anything and they can just play beautifully. But the average person, it takes real work and real understanding of themselves, both as a human, but also as a creative person and, and what's important to them to really get to a place. Malcolm Gladwell had a bunch of essays that were like published and they put smashed them into a book. And one of them was about, th there's this belief, and this was really important to me as somebody that's gotten a lot of attention later in their career, but there's this belief that real creative people, they're just good, they get discovered young, and that's how it works. I mean, society rewards youth in general, especially in the creative fields, if you think of like acting and singing and what have you. And that is true. There are people that they just get it, they do it, they're great from the beginning. Then there's people that it, they peak so much later and their works are so much more beautiful later in their life. I think that th what they did in this, this kind of essay is that they they had people list like the 10 best poems of all time. And then they found out the ages of the authors when those poems were written. And it was like half of them, they were like 19, 22, 25. And the other half was 65, 70, 80. And then he, break it, he breaks it down even more to certain people. They can go to Hawaii for the first time and just absorb it and then go write about Hawaii. And they just go once, they just took everything in. And then there's other people, they have to go to Hawaii every six months for 20 years to encapsulate the beauty of the trees and the, the waves of the ocean and how it makes them feel on the inside. And this punishing of people that some people, like I've always been a slow learner. I've always, it's always taken me much longer to get to people's conclusion. It was the first time that I read something and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna peak at 65, I feel it. <laughs> like, I mean, like it just made me understand that as a society, we have decided that creativity and creative expression needs to be quick, understood quick and pushed out quick and earlier in your your life that you you know you're 22 and you just you're best singer in the world and great lyrics and blah 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 and of course there's people that have long careers you look at somebody like you know Paul Simon or whatever where like they were young when they got noticed and they continued to produce great music for a long time but then you also have so many people that it just takes them so much longer to find their creative voice and there's such less 
reward for that path that I think there's a lot of people that maybe have ignored their creative drives, um, weren't rewarded for their creative drives, or didn't feel like their creativity was where they think it should be immediately and put it aside. And I think what's going to happen with this pandemic is because a lot of people lost their jobs and never thought of it as a viable choice. You're going to have a lot of people look at this thing they put aside and start to pay attention to it and give it a second chance or even give it the chance that it deserves because they now have the time or you know they thought their Wall Street job wasn't a, a risk and now it is because everything's garbage. Well, we'll see how many uh, painters come out of this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's and a whole buy my plan in my up. 80s is to just yeah. become a painter and sell it for millions. Yeah, look at ex-president Bush. He settled into painting and um, you can always be a painter after you're a president. Yeah. I don't know what that example was. <laughs> That's um, like what, something my parents would say. After you're president, you can become a painter. Yeah, that is such an immigrant thing to say. <laughs> no, I, I want you to be creative after you become a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When my mom said to me once, why can't you be a funny like doctor, essentially? I was like... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I should no, These are valid points. Right, actually, in the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was always right. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear people's paths to finding their creativity if they just feel like they're not a creative person. If they know when they lost their creativity, it's kind of a sad question. But like, don't you feel like every housewife has that story? Like, it would always be like, you hear about these stories of like, I would say like my parents' parents or even just like movies from like the 40s and 50s. It was always like a mom that knew how to sing or like a mom that was like really good at something. And you almost find out that they had this idea, then they had kids and they, it was taken away from them. But it always felt like a lot of women had this other path, whether it was business-wise or creativity. And then you don't find out about it until their kids are older. And they're like, oh yeah, my mom doesn't have to watch us anymore. So now she's like this brilliant painter. And I had no idea because she just made sandwiches. So yeah, write us at two non-doctors, uh, two non-forwarddoctors at gmail.com. And we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye.